Welcome to our weekly We mean weekly Wednesday night Shear Lila Nishmas Chaim Lechanan Yom Teflipa Chaim Baruch Shmuel Yaakov Meisha Jeanette Bas Ibrahim Akoyin And today's Yotzeit My dear father and Lashon Meisha Tzvi Ben um, today was the 10th year outside of my father, Shalom. And in short words, a true chassid. A chassid, a soldier of the Rebbe. So much so, <laughs> my father of son was a sheikhit, sheikh the chickens, and he was a sheikhit mumcha. He was an expert sheikhit, and he. Uh, the different people in Williamsburg, Rebbes, Barapak, Rebbes, Rebbes, that would ask him to come shecht for him, for them, their kaparis, Erev, Erev, Yom Kippur. Very bitl dekiyid, although a chaser of the Rebbe, and only a chaser of the Rebbes, but if you went to another Rebbe, he was no stranger to going to other rabbis. Not really per se for brachas, because he went to his rabbi for brachas. But if they gave a bracha, they gave a bracha. He believed that they were rabbis. He believed they were holy Jews. This Kanad made him the oldest rabbi of New York. At the time, was the Blue Jew rabbi. And he went to Shech the Kaparis of the Blue Jew rabbi. And after Kaparas, the Blizzard would ask that he comes into his room, his Yechidah's room, to get a bracha, and he would give him, it's uh, called Shechita Gelt. He had a tip to Shechit. So he came into the Blizzard Rebbe, gave a bracha and everything, and after the Blizzard Rebbe told him, I know tomorrow you'll probably go Erevin Kippur to the Rebbe for Lekach. The Rebbe, of course, referring to the Rebbe, the Babacher Rebbe. He knew he was a Babacher Chosid. The Rebbe would give out Erevin Kippur and Aishan Rabbe honey cake. Tradition. Honey cake is given out with the blessing of Lashana, Teva, Umesuka. A good and sweet year. And the Rebbe would give out to each and every person. The line would be all down the block, literally. But usually it moved very quickly, because once the Rebbe started giving out, the Rebbe gave very quickly. So the Rebbe didn't have the time either for the Serebim Kippah. So, the Belushima asked my father... You go tomorrow to the Rebbe 
Ask him for bracha for me. Sul ben Sapayda, he'll know who it is. Um, one of the last attributes I would merit my father with is being a, a shy person. He was a chazan, a very big voice, performed at many concerts. He davened on a Shenim Kippah in a shul for several years, two and a half thousand seats full with a 40 person choir. So he wasn't shy. When you come in front of the Rebbe, it's a different world. Different thing. He came in front of the Rebbe and he got tongue tied. Yeah. He got tongue tied and he forgot the name. He forgot the name. And he stopped because how could he not ask? But <laughs> the, everybody was pushing. You gotta go, you gotta move. And he couldn't not say it, so he said the, the Blush of Rebbe asked for Bracha. Mm-hmm. The Rebbe looked up at my father. The Rebbe told my father, Yisrael ben Tzapeda. The Rebbe told my father to wait, and he went and took a handkerchief, a silk handkerchief. And he put several pieces of lekach into it. And he was folding this corner to that corner, back and forth, giving all different brachas for the Blushva. And then told my father, I know you're very busy today. It's a chazan, pastor prepare for him in Kippur. In Kippur. But please see to it that this arrives before Yom Kippur. The line, as I said before, it's outside. It go from the outside into the shul, up the steps to pass the Rebbe's room, and back out the door. So outside the front of the shul, there's like this grass. It wasn't grass that people walked around on. It was shoulder height. So, standing online, as he was going in, he was going to take a thousand film with him, put a thousand film on the grass, and then go back out and come out and grab it. When the Rebbe told him, see to it, this gets to him before Yamtiv, he totally forgot where he was. He ran, he jumped in his car, and he ran to the Blizzard Rebbe. And he called me up later, because he didn't have a cell phone in those days. He called me and said to me, Go run to 770, get my thousand to off the grass. <coughs> what happened with the Lekach and everything is a different story for itself. The bottom line was I wanted to say about my father, Lord Shalom, his devotion and dedication to the Rebbe. As I said, he's done in many, many different shuls. Many different audiences, all different types of audiences. But when he had done by the Ahmed for the Rebbe, he melted. It was a whole different world. And the Rebbe appreciated a good chazan. Not chazanist per se, but personally daven nicely. They would want him to say, take it easy, go slowly, I want to hear
And oftentimes, when he would go for a dollar on Sunday, or if he'd go for Kesha Bracha at the end of Yamtiv, the Rebbe would give him something for his Chazonis as well. That's for the Chazonis. But he was with his Chazonis and with his Shkita and everything. He was an Anav. He was a very, very humble person. A very loving person, giving person, whatever he had, he gave. Fortunately, he wasn't blessed with physical riches. Baruch Hashem, Sonachas from his children, grandchildren, great grandchildren. It's a big merit to be able to see. And to see children going in the path that you tried to teach them, that your father went in, your grandfather went in, and to see the generations continue studying Teda, doing mitzvahs, etc. So it may be a meditation for everyone. And may he actually sing the ultimate song that brings the Shira. Chadashem Yitzitzi, the Indian of Shira Asiri, Tere Chadashem Yitzitzi, through Vaya, the Indian of Shira of song. As we know, the tenth Shira will be sung when Mashiach comes. And since his name was Mesha Tzvi, so as standing next to Mesha, he should stand and sing that Shira. And we should merit to see that tonight with him and all the others. As the Navi predicted. Okay. Speaking of the Navi, it was Pasha Shaftim where the Rebbe announced, proclaimed by Fabrengen, Yesh. Novi be Israel. B'nai Israel does have a prophet. As the Pasuk in this week's Parsha, Perik Yudches, Pasuk Tesvav, chapter 18, verse 15. Novi the Novi that will be amongst you, Elof Tishmon, him you should listen to. Mesh is saying that it has to be Machicha from one of your Jewish brothers. Kameini to be like me, Mesh says. Yakum Hashem Kecha, and he'll establish a show that he's godly person. Elef Tishmon, to him you should listen. The words Elef Tishmon. If you keep your score at home, the Gemara Yavam is Ayin Amit Beis. Afilu Eimer, even if the Navi tells you, Laavir Achas Mikol Mitzvah Shebeteira, to go against one of the mitzvahs that are written in the Teira Kigain. For example, Eliyahu Baharakarmel. 
what Elijah Eliyahu Anovi did in Har Carmel. Hakel Fisha for the moment, Shamali. Hear him out. Listen to the Novi. Even though it sounds contradictory to actual data. As we saw, Eliyahu Novi performed on Harakarma, which we'll, we'll still discuss. What was the mitzvah here that was discussed? The sacrificing of karbonis on a boma, on an altar outside of the Holy Temple, outside of the Beis HaMikdash. Once the Beis HaMikdash was built, this became prohibited. Until then, there were bombers all over it. Some people were able to bring sacrifices to God. Once the Beis Hamidrash was built, the Holy Temple was established in Yerushalayim, it was prohibited to, be able to bring any kind of carbon except for on the Mizbeach, the altar, in the Beis Hamidrash. So these bombers, as they were called, became Asr. However, if there were to be a prophet, a Navi would stand up and say that at this moment I need to use a bomber outside of the Beis Hamidash, and is a true Navi, a true prophet, like Elio and Hara Carmel, Elav Tishmon. Says the tailor to him, you should listen. This is what the Pasuk refers to when he says, the Novi that's amongst you. So we have the question at the end of Gemara Yavamis. The Gemara says, and he enumerates, the Gemara, she enumerates, the Gemara enumerates, all about sacrificing on a bomber. And it states clearly, both Yerushalayim, they came to Yerushalayim, to Jerusalem, Nesru Abomis, the bombers became prohibited, there was no longer any permission to use them. Where is Chazal, where do the sages learn this from? To such intricate detail? Something that already hasn't existed for years and generations in the world. <coughs> but rather, the concept of a bummer exists today as well. If a prophet were to stand up and command at the moment to bring a sacrifice on a bomber, as Elio did on Hara Caramel, on such a on this on such a scenario, we would be obligated, according to the Teda, to be makriv on the bomber. And therefore, we need to learn the halachas that are relevant to bringing sacrifices on a bummer. 
If you keep me scoring on these two places in Shas, I'm this Yuma, Tav Tesam at Beis, and Seita Mem Chesam at Beis. Yuma, 9, side 2, and Seita, 69, 48, side 2. With the Yuma sites, when the last of the prophets passed, Chagai, Zechariah, Umalachi, Nestalik Ruach HaKedish Mi'Yisrael, the Ruach HaKedish, the Holy Spirit that rested on the prophets, left the world, left the nation. In that case, based on these words, we are not able to have a prophet in our generation. But it's not the situation, actually. For we find many different times in Chazal, that the Shekhinah did rest, that the Holy Spirit did rest, even after the Nevi'im, these last Nevi'im passed away. And also by the Rambam, in Hilchus Nevu'ah he writes, Ein agvola shel zman, ve'ein hu eimer, she'yev she'lagia le'nevu'ah bezman hazeh. There's no boundary of time, and nobody's saying there can't be a Novi in today's days. So therefore, we don't have to explain the words of Chazal, the Stalkeruach HaKedish Mishraul, that the Spirit has left the Jews, like after the last of the Nevi'im, as if left after the last Nevi'im, there's no no possibility of any more Nevi'im, any more Ruach HaKedish. It's just not as frequent as it used to be. And therefore, and how do we see this? By the wording. It doesn't say Botla, a Paskeruach HaKedish. It became nullified or it ceased. It says Nistalka. It left us. So since it was not nullified, it is not totally ceased, there are times and moments where we can find that Nevoah does rest on a person. As the Ramam states. And the Maila of bringing Beis HaMikdash, a, a carbon over, bring it on a bomber. When you bring a carbon to Beis HaMikdash, the Kedusha spreads also in a physical way. Like it stands on the altar. And that place itself becomes holy. It sanctifies the place. This happens today's day and age as well. In a Beis HaKnesses or a Beis HaMedrish, there are beginnings of Migdash Ma'at. And every Dover Tev that merits the Kedusha, every good thing that merits spirituality, holiness, the more that there is, he makes it a Beis HaKnesses. And therefore is preferable that when we do something of a holy stature, it's done in the basic Nessus in order to add Kiddusha say al Kiddusha. We're discussing prophecy, Novi. There's a gone at Tzadik who's known as the Baal Meir Nesivim. And he was a Rav in Austria. 
One day, he heard the mocking news. There was a miracle worker named Rishol Baal Shem Tov. And he performed miracles. And he could know what people are thinking. And he was a holy man. He waved his hand at it to nullify the whole idea. It's all exaggerated. One of his trips that the mayor of Stephen was taking, he took a journey to the Vashem HaKadosh, <coughs> to the founder of Chassidus. And he confronted the Baal Shem Tov and said, Is it true? I hear that you can know people's thoughts. In a very demeaning way, he asked. Hi, the Baal Shem Tov said, What should I tell you? Do you want me to tell you I know thoughts, for example, that this last Shabbos, you were Davinish Manasseh, you finished Atta Kodesh. And you started saying, saying, You started continuing the weekday Shemines rather than the Shabbos. The guy was blown out of the water. How, how is it possible? I did such a thing. What is the way? How do I rectify? This horrible sin, this horrible mistake. And the Bashem has told him you have to check out what you how you behave and how you act during the week. So that week becomes your weekdays and Shabbos is Shabbos. So that I know already from Halacha. So the Bashem added, have a Masunim Badin. You have to be very level-headed and calm when it comes to a din. And the two parted ways. From time to time, the mayor Nesivim would go around his regions, around his towns, to go see what's going on in Austria. And one such journey... People from the town stopped him and said, Rebbe, Rabbi, we have a problem. We have this guy. Has it, it's a funny business, does funny things. Something is up with this guy that's not right. Something right, not right here. And there's, there's rumors circulating about him. It doesn't look good. It doesn't sound good. And rumor has it that he's up to really no good things and he's really not doing the right things, not behaving correctly, etc. So when the mayor received him heard this, he called in the fellow and he said, I insist that you confess to me your sin. Fellow, poor fellow shrugs his shoulders. So I don't know what you're talking about. This didn't help. He got insistent. So much so 
he took a bunch of hooligans, Sifka, and they told him, beat this guy. And they tied him down, and they started to beat him. And they asked him again and again, confess your sin. And he's crying, but I have nothing to say. Thank you. Anyway, Nesivim left the town and he was not happy. He knows how much he hurt this guy. Maybe there was no sin after all. How will I actually ever know the truth? And then he reminded himself of the one day that he met the Baal Shem Tov, how the Baal Shem Tov knows these things. So he made up to go meet the Baal again to find out what to do with this Psak Din. To utilize the Baal Ruach HaKedish which he didn't believe in. He's only thinking about it and he sees the Baal wagon traveling towards him. He ran down, jumped off his own wagon and he asked the Hashem to please stop. And he told him, I don't know what to do. Started to correct the kvetch. And he told the whole story about this fellow that everybody suspects of us, this X, Y, and Z. And I even beat him, and he wouldn't confess. I don't know how to fix this. Hashem said, I ask you one thing. Have him as soon in Be patient. What kind of patience was that? The Vashem says to him, Do you know that every generation has Lamed Vav Tzadikim, 36 righteous people, that the world exists on them? Hidden Tzadikim, hidden righteous people that nobody knows that even who they are? This man that you beat is the head of the Lamed Vav Tzadikim. Not just a righteous person. Not only is he not a sinner, he is the head of the Lamed Vav Tzadikim in today's generation. When the man of heard this, he ran back to the town to ask Mechila, but this fellow disappeared. And he immediately told everybody how these suspicions were unfounded and how this fellow was actually a very righteous person. And from then on, he became a staunch chassid of the Hashem HaKadosh. There are many different dinim in this short little parasha of Sheftim. Before the Jews go to war, which is towards the end of the parasha, of course, because next week we talk about the Kayan would stand up and would make announcements. One of the questions he would ask, or a statement, who is the person that fearful, faint-hearted, go home, 
If not, and he goes to war, he's going to put his fear into somebody else also. So better go home and don't disrupt your fellow fighters. If you keep your score at home, you mother say to the Mem Dalit Amaralf. 44 side 1. And the Yamada says, there's a little of a dispute, a debate, fear and faint-heartedness. Some say that the actual fear of battle they can deal with, but the fear of sin, that they have sinned, and they might be culpable of punishment by death, that's something they can't get over. And since they're not worthy of God's protection during the war, they're scared to go out. So according to this opinion, those who are just scared of battle went home. When the Korean said to the soldiers, let your hearts not be faint. Don't be afraid. And you won't be alarmed. Rabbi Akiva, however, says, this final announcement, who cannot stand in the closed ranks of battle and look upon a drawn sword as the battle draws nearer, even those who were confident earlier, sword is a pretty scary thing. They too are encouraged to go home. So Rabbi Akiva ultimately is rejecting the first opinion. Fear because of not because of sins. Because of sins, the person can ultimately go with confidence to war. And that doesn't pose any risk to morale. Why does Akiva say this? Once again, if you keep your score, I'm Sanhedrin. Kuf Yud Omer Aleph. 110, side 1. Rabbi Akiva, Zekal, Dodal, Batayda, is V'yahavta, L'reyacha, Kamecha. Rabbi Akiva's battle cry, as you say, his own, his motto was to love a fellow Jew. And nobody loved a fellow Jew like Rabbi Akiva loved his fellow Jews. And therefore he always looked as the to judge the Jews favorably. Told many times of the Holy Badichva, when the Eden were talking during davening, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Look at your Jews, even in the middle of talking they daven. Not to talk bad about a Jew. To try to find favorably and meritoriously. So a person who fears because of his sins he immediately recognizes that his conduct was questionable. 
If he believes that God can and will hold him accountable, and is hoping they'll be spared from divine retribution, as it call it, he goes to battle. Even if he can't really find within himself to change and to improve himself, he still has charata, he still has regret on the sin that he did. So in Rabbi Akiva's view, the person immediately is contemplating repentance. He's thinking of tshuva. Just hear of tshuva, just the thought of tshuva itself, makes him worthy, and he has chusim, and therefore, Rabbi Akiva held that he can go off to battle without any problem. Interestingly, oftentimes, I mean, Shaftim is read at the end of the summer. Always. And therefore, we need to find the end of the summer marks the beginning of a school year. So we need to find A lesson in Shaftim for the upcoming school year. The Pasik tells us in Shaftim, Pedi Chav Pasik Yutes, chapter 20, verse 19, Ki Odom Eitz Hasada. Is then the man a tree of the field? According to a simple meaning, the logic here. So how do you destroy a fruit tree? You're going to war against the city, and you're going to burn down the city. How do you go burn down a fruit tree? Is the man the field, the tree, and therefore the tree becomes an enemy also because it's an enemy grounds? Ridiculous. Have you given score? Holding him on a tiny Zion of Aleph, seven side one. Where the Gemara interprets this verse as a matter, a fact. Adam eats asada. A person is a field, tree in the field, tree in the field. This teaches us an extremely important lesson when it comes to education. It comes to educating our children. A child in his formative years is like a tree in the earliest stages. If there is a cut, a nick, or anything in a not in a fully grown tree, it's not ideal for a fruit tree, but it recuperates and it still gives it bears fruits, etc. It's already an established tree. Fully grown. Mashaking the tree, the sapling, like the young child. If you make a scratch in it, or the smallest scratch in it, or the smallest scratch in the seed, 
when it's being planting, planted could be devastating. It could possibly ruin the prospects of this free, tree ever giving fruit, ever bearing fruit at all. And so too it is with our children. Compromised standards even an adult doesn't like. But compromise in education children can be devastated from it. So in order to nurture and raise a generation of Yidin who are spiritually fit we need to ensure that our children like that sapling receive a healthy undiluted Jewish education especially when they're younger years we are suffering now of a terrible decree in New York where the government is now insisting that we are teaching too much Lamude Kedesh there's too much of the Hebrew studies and not enough of the secular although comparison the Jewish children are in the yeshivas are way head and shoulders above the children in public schools. But this decree has now fallen upon us, and they want this to be changed. Tells us that we may not do this. Such should happen. We'd have to play with dreidels again. like they did with the caves by the Maccabees. The Rav, the Maradasa of Shalom, used to teach 5th grade English. Taught in the morning, Lumad Kaidish, and in the afternoon he taught 5th grade English. He said, okay, we have to do several subjects. We have to do math, we have to do English, and we need to do science. Uh, for math. And he would give an equation. Fifth graders. If three men combined constructed an edifice of 20 stories in six months' time, and another three, month, three men, and they combined their efforts in the same amount of time, constructed an edifice of 10 stories. If you combine their efforts, how many stories would they construct in six months' time? That was math. Figure it out later. Then he would say, okay, English. He would ask a boy to go to the board, take a piece of chalk. In those days, we had white chalk. Write a sentence on the board. The bear bear saw a bear, 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 a bear, bear. So, you now needed to know which is B-E-A-R, which is B-A-R-E, etc. And it was an experience. That was English language. Then he would take his pen, he would hold it up, drop it on his desk. Gravity. Okay, that was science. Open your Gemara's. <laughs> and he would teach Gemara. <laughs> he taught, taught secular studies. But the boys knew what they were talking about at the end of the year, regardless. 
Same Tosim Alecha Melech You need to put a king upon you. Now, honestly speaking, Hakadosh Baruch Hu is Melech Malchem Melechim Hakadosh Baruch Hu. David is our king. What gives with the same Tosim Alecha Melech business? And not only that, came later. The Jews came complaining to Shmuel and Avi, We want a king. And you know what? The Jews get punished for it. They get punished for asking for a king. But it says in the Tana, same Tosim Alech put a king upon you. Was not Moshe a king? Meshach was a king. Meshach was a shepherd. A devoted, dedicated, loving, caring shepherd. Unfortunately for Meshach, even though everyone knew his dedication, his devotion to them, they were constantly biting him. They were constantly doing things to him. Some on purpose and some inadvertently. They were perpetually hurting him. And Mesha stood for it. Mesha didn't tolerate it. Mesha accepted it with love. So Mesha was a Rayanema, was a true shepherd. And no matter what his flock did to him, his unconditional love always was there. So much so, he spent 40 days and 40 nights praying for the Eden to be forgiven. He did not eat or drink for 40 days, 40 nights, no sleep. Praying on a constant basis for the Jewish nation to be forgiven. So, Moshe was a king. but of a different dimension. When it came to Shmuel Anavi, the Eden said, give us a king like all the other nations have a king. That was the boo-boo. That's where the buzzer went off. That was the problem here. You want a king to rule the nation, to lead you, to teach you? No. Otherwise, Melech Malchem Amlochem. You have a king. Was suchst du, was kriegst du? From the historic and halachic perspective, every king's inauguration, they were anointed with oil. Yet surprisingly, even though the Torah outlines in explicit details, the appointing of a new king, how it has to be carried out, Tera never mentions the anointing of oil. Shmuel anointed the first king, Shaul, with oil. Yeshua, on the other hand, also had 
the halachic status of a king. You look in Malachim, in Rambam, Hilchus Malachim. But how was he appointed a king? Through smicha. Where the Almighty put his hands, where Moshe Rabbeinu put his hands on his head. The authority to transmit Teda is conferred through smicha. But the authority to rule a nation is done through anointment. So why did Moshe not anoint Yeshua with oil? And the Ramam says as follows. The purpose of the Jewish monarch His purpose and intent is to elevate the true faith and fill the words with justice. Destroying the power of the wicked and waging the wars of God. Why? The entire purpose of appointing a king is to execute Jewish, execute justice and wage wars. So from the words of the Rambam we see that the king's role is not only to govern and to lead the nation's material affairs, but primarily to promote the ways of the Tater. So although his reign over the nation is the king's exclusively, only the king reigns over the nation, At the same time, this monarchy is an extension to Sanhedrin, who is the body of authority entrusted with transmitting the Teda. But they still remain distinct branches. Each is conferred its power differently and independently. Yeshua was totally different than that, though. He was an exception. On the one hand, Yeshua was exclusively given the job, the task, to teach Teda in his generation. Although this is something that's granted to the Sanhedrin, but at the same time, Yeshua was a king. He needed to implement the Tater's teaching within the capacity of his kingship. So it's unnecessary for Yeshua to be anointed by oil. Because Yeshua held both branches. Leadership through smicha, spiritually and physically. And therefore smicha was enough for this. So now we understand why the Tater doesn't say it as well the anointing of a king with oil, for ideally, the king should be like Yeshua and like Mesha, doing the both and functioning in both. The Torah Pasha starts Shaftim v'Shaytim Titim l'Chab Echol You should have Shaftim and Shaytim. You should have judges, 
and you should have policemen. Every city where Jews lived, Teres instructs, set up a court system, has judges who determine the law, and the officials who enforce the judge's rulings. When the Navi talks about Asad Lavi of the time Mashiach, Ashiva Shevtayach Kivarishena, I'll restore your judges as at first and your counselors as in the beginning. No mention of the law enforcement, the shaitrim are not there. We are the shaitrim. Rather, they're given the counselors who ultimately advise the people how to conduct their lives. Why? When the time of Mashiach, all the wicked and evil will be taken away from the world, including the Yitzhara, the evil inclination. Thereby it eliminates the need for police to enforce anything. Instead, when a person gets a psak, they come and they say, how do I do it? They'll want to know how to do it, they'll just need the advisors to complement the judge's authority. Judah's advice, by definition, is offered. It's a suggestion, not a command. Person advising speaks like an equal in a matter that the recipient doesn't feel compelled but can come to understand this advice really is sincere and it's for his best interest. This will be the Eretzayich, the counselors in the time of Mashiach. They will help people recognize the value of hearing, keeping the laws of the Teda, and consequently in the time of Mashiach, will only want to observe the Teda, and will do so with inner passion. In order to do so, we simply need to have the advisors to tell us how to do it. <laughs> the end of the parasha talks about the din of the Eglarufa. A person is found dead <coughs> on the outskirts of a town. 
tells the Tera. The sages of the town. Sanhedrin need to be brought. And they bring what's called an Eglarufa. To forgive for the sin. To forgive this death of this person, this traveler. They measure which town he's closest to as he was found dead in the field. And the tailor commands to the elders of the town to come out to bring this eagle, this calf, a year old, to the river, and they pronounce, Yedeinu leishofchu es Adom our hands did not spill his blood and our eyes did not see. This is a way of forgiveness. On this murder that was done here and they did not find the murderer. What do the elders of the city have to do with this? It's a murder. can't say the elders of the city are murderers, Hashem. But we know, keep his score at home, and on Shabbos, Nun on the bottom of the Yom Aleph, tells us, She'ein Misa, Belechet. There's no Misa without a Chet, without a sin. No death without a sin. So the fact that this person is killed, he sinned. He does nothing wrong. But the fact this was done through somebody, a murderer murdered him, this has to be accepted upon him, the punishment. But what does it have to do with the ziknair, with the bezin? The t- teaching of this parsha is Kol Yisrael Arevim Zelaza. All Jews are responsible for one another. Again, keep his score almost twice in Shas. Shvu Islamites in the bottom of an Aleph, 39 in the bottom of side 1. And Sanhedrin 27, the bottom of side 2. We have a responsibility for each and every fellow Jew. Not just for the murderer, but all the dwellers of the city, the elders, till the Bezna God, says. This refers to the Sanhedrin Nagodl. Also, Rashi, from the Satan and Dalaram and Bez. 
So these elders are chayiv to call out and to accept upon themselves the nation and to say, We did not spill this blood. They need to ha- keep their hands clean. They need to establish the laws of Teda so that such a thing should not happen. And therefore this is their responsibility. Spiritually as well, each person has the concept of blood spilling. When a Jew sins, they spill the blood of the neshama. And they bring it down to a sin, the opposite of spirituality, of holiness. And for those moments, it's as if they find a cholol nefesh, cholol nefesh, a spiritual death. And we're in a sada, we're in a field. Anywhere that's the shlita of Esav is considered a field. Because Esav is an old man of the field. So from one side they can argue, it's my own doing. What does others have to do with this? I reached such a low level. He could pull himself out of this field from the city and bring himself into a Jewish environment. He chose this life to live in such an environment. So therefore he says that the responsibility is mine mine only. Comes the Pasha of Eglarufa and says, No. The responsibility of the fallen Jew, someone that has gone down in spirituality, in Judaism, is on every one of the Sanhedrin. It says, They have to tie around themselves belts and go from town to town teaching the Jews how to behave. They had to worry about each and every Jew that they didn't leave the realm of Judaism. And this is the lesson for each and every Jew. Especially now in Chedesh Elul. We go out to the field, Melech Basada. The king is in the field. The king, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is there now, waiting for us, smiling at us. Our brothers, our Sephardi brothers are saying, Slik us already every day. And to accept each and every Jew to save upon him, Yafis, the Kaddish Baruch is accepting every person with a smiling face. And therefore, we are capable at this time, in these days of Yom Nirayim, preparing ourselves to get to the city, to get to the right place, and to be written down in the righteous books with the Tzadikim. And we should have all Aksiva, Aksima Teva, Shara Teva, Mesukah. I'm sorry about the big Elvis this week. It's obvious to all.